Hello and welcome to Newsmakers on CHCH Podcast, where we go beyond the headlines into the stories that matter to you in Hamilton, Halton, and Niagara. I'm your host, Louis Budko, and today I am very pleased to be joined by Ward 1 City Councillor Maureen Wilson. Councillor Wilson was first elected in 2018 and won a second term in 2022 with the largest margin of victory amongst any council race, taking 75% of the vote. In her time on council, she has served on many committees and subcommittees, including the Audit, Finance and Administration and General Issues Committee, Hamilton Board of Health, among others, as well as serving on the Advisory Committee for Immigrants and Refugees, the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender and Queer Advisory Committee, and the Hamilton Center for Civic Inclusion. So no shortage of things to get into, and let's do that with Councillor Wilson. Thank you so much for joining me today. My first council guest on the show. Thank you. Dun, 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 dun. So pleased to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's start with an issue that is front and center on a lot of people's minds. You recently wrote in your newsletter talking about the rise of homelessness. And in it, you write, which I think we have the quote here coming up. Emotions are running high, often pitting neighbor against neighbor. The city of Hamilton is working to find ways to manage this humanitarian crisis, but until the provincial and federal governments join us in making affordable and supportive housing a priority, the task is simply bigger than the city alone can handle. How front of mind is this issue for city councillors right now? Oh, I think it, um, without a doubt, it's uh, front of mind for every single Councillor, and I, I think it's also front of mind for most residents of Hamilton. I described it as a humanitarian crisis, and I, I think I still believe that's an apt description. It's um, so the point of the letter to the ward toward one residents, which I, I write frequently when there's a, an issue that is um, uh, bigger and requires deeper uh, communication, is to give a sense of well, what happened. Um, a lot of people were asking me, you know, why is there so much homelessness? And um, I think it was um, Hemingway who said uh, to describe bankruptcy, it's all of a sudden, and it's slowly, and then it's all of a sudden. But like any crisis, it's years, years in the making. Now, this is a, it seems to be a divisive issue. It seems like it shouldn't be a divisive issue, though. So, So why is it such a one side, other side issue at City Hall and amongst residents right now? Well, I think um, my position is never to tell people how to feel or what they're feeling is right or wrong. Um, I don't understand or know people's trigger points. So I I think there is a sense of we are a wealthy nation. We are a prosperous um, province. Why is it that we're seeing such um, depravity, you know, of of a lack of wealth, people having to resort to sleeping under a tarp or a a tent? Um, And that begs a lot of questions. And... I think there's always that tension when you're seeing uh, people who are unhoused in public spaces. Um, it, For some, it creates a sense of discomfort, a lack of safety. Um, and for people who are unhoused, it's also unsafe for them as well. So that's what I, I mean by tensions. And we all have different opinions on what some of those solutions might be. Mm-hmm. As a counselor, I mean, you are the most accessible hmm. politician 
to a lot of residents, right? Mm-hmm. They, you, you encourage it in your, in your newsletter, you encourage, write your MPP, write your MP. But mm-hmm. of course, as somebody who is a local representation for residents, you hear a lot of it. Is there something you'd want to let residents know who do come to you? I'm sure you're open to, to hearing their concerns. That's what you do. But what's something that maybe save them, saves them the trip of having to come to you or, or expressing their concerns about this issue? Well, first of all, I, I would always encourage um, anyone to express their concern and also their experience. I mean, the city has an obligation and is leaning into that obligation to try and manage uh, this crisis. So it's everything um, from uh, needles, uh, if there's issues of substance, uh, there's waste, um, <clears throat> sometimes there's noise uh, and there's disorder. Um, and I think the more we can have the conversations about this didn't just uh, develop overnight and what are some of the reasons um, that are going into fueling this crisis. I think those are good conversations to have because I think uh, local leaders have to be held accountable. But my point in the letter was um, this is a, a manifestation of decisions. This mm. is not an accident. Uh, these are decisions that were made with intent, maybe not to cause this outcome, um, but there's never any neutrality in a policy. Hmm. Um, there's never any neutrality in its impact. And I, I think we have to, when we're making these decisions, um, it's difficult to think about the longer term consequences, but you can never hide the longer term consequences. Well said. You wrote about support from the federal and provincial government. What would that look like in your mind and where would it go? So housing is, um, the federal government has had a role in housing since before the Great Wars, but certainly after. Um, And they have access to a greater source of of revenues than municipalities. Primarily, uh, the revenue for municipalities is property taxes. And Provincially, provinces are responsible for health and also for land use planning. So those two things together um, mean that housing, um, publicly funded housing, is absolutely not the responsibility, singularly, of local municipalities. We just don't have the revenue sources. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about this. There was one stat, I think you mentioned rentals, and mm. you know, doing a story on purpose-built rentals. Um, and I was comparing numbers across Niagara and, and Hamilton. And it was a, one of those stats that I had to look, double check, triple check, that you know in 2021, there were 10 rental purpose units built in the city of Hamilton. As a council, how can you push towards that sort of development? You know, we're going to talk about development. We're going to talk about urban sprawl, which is, mm-hmm. we talk about a lot of developers talk about that, but that doesn't really help in a situation like this. How could a council push towards rental purpose, rental driven purposes for for units? So if I can step back for a moment, often when when there is a a tower or a high rise going up, I'll get an email or there will be a social media comment saying, well, how many of those units are affordable? To which my answer is none of them. If we're going to rely on the marketplace, the private marketplace, and we do in Canada, 94% of our housing stock um, is sourced from the private market, and only 4% is uh, from the not-for-profit, or there's a significant injection of public dollars. 
4%. And if you think of um, some European countries, they're as high as 34%. Um, that was a policy, policy decision made many, many decades ago. It was a thinking that the private sector is leaner um, and more um, equipped to provide housing. And they are. Hmm. But um, a whole bunch of things have gone into making um, housing choice and housing affordability out of out of grasp for too many people. Um, sticking with housing, we all know the Ford government recently reversed its decision to mm. open up the Greenbelt. However, people may forget that even before that decision, as part of Bill 23, the Building Homes Faster Act, the Ford government went against council, which overwhelmingly 13 to 3 voted against this, 90% uh, of its citizens that responded in a survey, in opening up 2,200 hectares to the urban area. Yeah. Now, after seeing what the IG found, mm -hmm. are you optimistic that this is possibly a decision that can be reversed, or do you have to move forward in planning that this might be a decision that, that might not be reversed? Well, I, I think I would say uh, politically and to all members of the community, it is in your best interest, whether you're motivated by financially with your taxes or whether you're um, motivated by uh, green policies or whether uh, social issues are front in mind. It is in your best interest to not accept this decision and to do everything you can in your individual or collective will to um, make it be, make it known to your government MPs and MPPs that this is not in the best interest of Hamilton. Mm -hmm. I think when we're talking about housing, um, we're often only talking about supply, and we're not talking about those things that go into informing demand. Um, and we know that when we're bringing on 2,200 hectares, um, and we're framing that in only market-based housing, we're going to get more of the same. And that means more homes that are out of uh, price and out of reach for more people. It's not going to do anything uh, to solve our housing woes uh, and the crisis that we're seeing. It's also, um, there's nothing that drains a city's financial purse than sprawl. Um, it's, it's the biggest Ponzi scheme out there. Well, I mean, you would think of the things that need to be built out there to service the amount of homes you want to build. And like you say, if you're building single family units, you're going to want parks, you're going to want schools, you're going to want all this stuff, which isn't currently there. So I think it was a study out of the city of Ottawa commissioned one because they also had uh, their urban boundaries mm -hmm. redrawn by Bill 23 that said the cost of building this out is going to be way more than any expected revenue we can expect. Yeah, developers um, like to s state um, <laughs> that development pays for development. It never does and it never has. Um, development charges will pay for a portion, a, a large portion of some of the capital, um, but it does not pay for the long-term operating and maintenance. So uh, that road, uh, that subdivision road that w the, the developer may have paid for through Development Charges Act, um, after 15 years, it slips onto your responsibility, all of our responsibility as a taxpayer. It's just not in the interest of, it's not good urban planning. Um, it makes for car dependency. It adds to the cost of transit. It's not even good for small business because what we need is small and medium-sized businesses and the way in which those are best supported is when you have mixed income com communities where people can walk and easily get to those businesses and those businesses they're not owned from um, somewhere far away they're owned by one of your neighbors 
Um, but now you're going to have a conspiracy theorist come up to you and say, you are trying to build, Counselor Wilson, you are trying to build 15-minute cities. <clears throat> you're trying to keep me trapped. How can you, as a counselor, fight that with common sense? How can you tell that person that this is nothing to do with control? Because a lot of people hear walkable cities, livable cities, you know, yeah. uh, and they, they get very defensive, mm -hmm. right? How can you... I don't want to say reason with those people, but how do you have that conversation to explain that housing does not need to be sprawled out? Well, the irony in that the latest conspiracy theory is that actually we're trying to inject greater choice into the market uh, because more of the same is just more of the same. Um, and it's out of reach for your family. And by providing a tighter urban boundary, um, we're enabling and encouraging by using the marketplace to, to encourage a greater diversity of housing types. And right now, um, the way things are and the way things ha have been, um, I just, I, I'm always, as a mother of three, I'm always in marvel of people who can commute night after night after night up to two hours because they've had to drive to where they can afford hmm. and then be a civil parent, be an engaged parent, be an engaged community member. You're exhausted. Hmm. Um, you get to put maybe your kids to bed and that's it. And then you have to get up and do the whole thing over again. I don't think that's good for families. Hmm. I don't think that's good for children. And I don't think that's actually good for our economy. Uh, speaking of the economy, speaking of Bill 23, we'll move on from, from Bill 23 because I think we've, we've talked about it. It's been talked about. But uh, another impact is being felt on the budget. Mm -hmm. um, and budget talks are happening at council. It was a big topic of discussion last week. Uh, it will be. The public consultations will begin, I believe, in November. Mm -hmm. um, but talk about the impact of Bill 23 on the city of Hamilton's budget. Well, um the government of, of Ontario and Premier Ford has said uh, with Bill 23, he's going to make all cities and towns whole. And he hasn't done that. That is a, uh, a check that we have not seen um, because we will not be able to um, charge certain fees uh, for the development that is forthcoming. And so those costs are going to be passed directly onto taxpayers. Um, and even if there was a, a check to be written, again, development is forever. Those costs are forever. Mm. Um, so even a, a one-time uh, passing check is, is not going to... Yeah not going to do it. Um, how do you see budget? I don't want to get your insight. You, you've been very clear. You were clear mm -hmm. last week um, as part of uh, you know the question period around uh, the motion that was before, before council wanting to, even before sending it to negotiation, say we're going to cap it at 4%. Mm -hmm. um, that didn't happen. Um, the discussion was had, but it was pushed towards the actual committee that discusses this. Um, how, how are you feeling about budget deliberations. I, I don't want to put you in a hole here, but you know, people hear 14% and they think, oh, wow. Um, but how are you feeling going into this, uh, this situation? Well, I think everybody went, oh, wow, <laughs> at 14%. Um, at the same time, I, I mean, I don't think there's a single member of council who is happy um, with 14%. And I feel confident that that's not going to be the number at the end of the day. But I think it's revealing for two reasons. Um, 
as I mentioned before, municipalities were created over a hundred years ago to do the kind of detail stuff uh, that provinces couldn't be bothered with, or it just didn't make economic sense in terms of scale to, for them to do it. And that was the property tax was to service property. So plowing your roads, filling the holes. Um, I think it's telling that 14.5% represents that municipalities are having to do a whole bunch more. And more importantly, how we do those things and what we invest in affects the competitiveness and the health and well-being of a city for a long, long time. And municipalities and cities matter. We're competing globally, but going back to that period over 100 years ago, we still don't we still have the same revenue tools hmm. and property taxes are what's called a very inelastic tax they they don't um if you picture an elastic they don't grow and contract in economic conditions you're basically you know you you still got that two dollar allowance basically <laughs> from grade three but you're um in university now and your costs are a heck of a lot more. Yeah. Um, let's move. Speaking of university, yeah. great segue, wow. Councillor Wilson. You're, you're looking yeah. at my <laughs> You're trying to get ahead of it. Ah, it's so good. Uh, speaking of university, this weekend marked the annual fake homecoming mm -hmm. McMaster University students have been having uh, for a few years now. Yeah. This year resulted in five charges as upwards of 8,000 people took to the streets in West Hamilton. Mm -hmm. How, w oh, sorry, would you call this year's enforcement a success? Well, first of all, um, I think there's a there's a distinction here. Um, the officers and the Hamilton Police Services, um, who were joined by officers from Niagara and London, they were very successful, and I applaud their patience. Um, the way in which they engaged with both students and residents, they had been planning for this along with city staff since January. So, from an enforcement perspective, um, it it was. Uh, Ex the execution of it was excellent. Um, am I satisfied as the ward run one resident? And frankly, as a proud Mac grad, mm. no, nobody could be. Um, it's not acceptable to have 8,000 students think it's okay to turn a neighborhood into their frat party. It is not acceptable to the people who live there, both students and residents, many of which whom have lived there for over 50 years. It's not acceptable for an 80-year-old woman to be cowering under her bed because she has no idea what on earth is going on. It's not acceptable for students to be defecating and urinating and um, damaging private and public property. None of these things are acceptable. It's not what good neighbors do. Where's the solution? Well, this. How do we get to a solution? Yeah, um, this is not unique to Hamilton. This is um, these um, unsanctioned events are uh, we've imported them mm. um, from the United States. They're organized uh, from an online platform, and the police um, and people on the ground uh, you're, they're doing surveillance. They're looking for that um, intelligence to say right. This is the weekend. Um, we uh, at the city, uh, we will be getting a, a legal services briefing, whether we can pursue a, an injunction and whether we can uh, pursue legal action against the uh, the organizer. Um, does the school have a role? To, you mentioned being a proud McMaster graduate. Does the school have a role to play in this? It absolutely has a role. Yeah. And um, the, that unsanctioned event would not be there hmm. in the absence of McMaster. Um, 
Western University, my understanding is they have a formal homecoming weekend. They call it. Hmm. Um, and they have events, as does Ottawa, on campus. McMaster doesn't. McMaster made a decision a number of years ago to pull out of having a homecoming event. Um, but I, I'm not sure why. I think they thought that would perhaps give them some distance or deniability or perhaps, you know, it would discourage this. But obviously it has not. And as a consequence, our Hamilton Police Service, they have to book officers three weeks in advance. And they are booking officers on time and a half uh, for two weekends in a row because the week, the, the weekend has not been called. Let's call the weekend. Let's um, encourage as many activities on campus as possible. And I would also, um, my constant refrain is McMaster has to come to the table and um, pitch in financially because these are a quarter of a million dollars at least a year. Yeah, I mean, 8,000 of students associated with your school um, who are having these parties, you know, like you said, you want to be a good neighbor. McMaster, 99% of the time, you know, great neighbors in in the neighborhood i'm sure um that the exception to the rule though uh this month will mark one year since the current council Mm -hmm. and mayor have been elected you were one of only five Mm -hmm. returnees uh, from the previous council with so many new faces what has this past year been like either getting to know how people work or getting to know how you all work as a group well i think it is it's been that Hmm. Also with a, a new head of council. Yeah, of um, also with a head of council who now has um, enhanced uh, authority under a strong mayor system. Um, I'll be very frank. I, I have enjoyed the last year getting to know my colleagues, getting to understand their interests. Um, they have, um, they're genuine in their public service. Uh, it's a very deliberative and I would say a very professional Uh, council um, in terms of how they conduct themselves um, in terms of their respect for one another and giving each other the time and space to learn because we everyone has a right to be there they earned their right to be there there's no junior table Mm -hmm. Uh, that was kind of the previous councils right you sat at the the junior table with the the happy meal Um, no no everyone has a right to be there uh, it's it seems it seems almost boring compared to the last term of council, Councillor Wilson. <laughs> <clears throat> I would I'll take boring, but I would say very thoughtful, very deliberative, and and we've you and I have just had a discussion about some of the significant challenges facing this community, and I've often argued uh, we have been governing over Hamilton's decline, hmm. and um, you know past councils have a responsibility as governors in that and this council and the councils uh five years from now ten years from now um they have to be deliberative and intentional in their investment decisions and make those tough decisions uh let's let's look five ten years down the road what are you encouraged about for the future of hamilton and what gives you optimism to keep doing this job well i came to hamilton in 1994 um, and there is just something about this place. Um, it's like everybody knows your name. It's not six degrees of se- separation. It's two and a half. And I always believe that that is Hamilton's greatest strength. It's, it's social capital. That whole thing of you don't have to, you don't need a yellow pages. You just need to, you know, that guy, call that guy who knows that guy who knows that woman. Um, so, uh, 
that I think if we can lean into that, our knowledge of each other, our care for one another, um, I am hopeful that we're being more deliberative about um, some parts of our city ha are falling apart. We have underinvested hmm. in our public places. We have underinvested in our sidewalks. We have underinvested in our roads. Everybody who drives or rides a bike or um, and walks can see that. And I, I think this council, um, I'm hopeful that the community will join and um, uh, and enjoy the kind of discipline and intentionality that that needs to be done, and I think is is getting done. It's a tall task ahead of you for it's, sure. It sure is, but it, it's worth our best efforts. There you go. Well said, uh, Councillor Wilson. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate the time today. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. Oh, it's fun. Okay. That, I'll, that, I'm clipping that so that any guest who comes in afterwards, I can show them. I said Councillor Wilson said it was fun, uh, but thank you for being my first councillor guest on the show. Woo yeah, <laughs> my thanks to Councillor Wilson and my thanks to you for joining us as well. I uh, can catch a new episode of Newsmakers twice a week on CHCH Podcast and make sure to like and subscribe to CHCH Podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast or go to chch.com slash podcast. Or if you're watching this, you can scan that little QR code on your screen right there. Thanks to everybody behind the scenes who helped put this show together. I'm Louis Butko from all of us here at CHCH. Have a great day. <laughs>